On the record on News Talk. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. I'm joined in studio by the Minister for Transport, Climate, Environment and Communications and the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan. Minister, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Gavin. Um, there's plenty to talk about in the papers and specifically about your brief, but there's one issue which just you may have heard mentioned in the news headlines there. It's about the, the concerns about um, what is now becoming evident in Ukraine now that Russian forces are withdrawing from some places. There's lots of testimony in the papers and there's reports, particularly from the city of Bucha, where now that the Russians have withdrawn, that there are uh, clear signs of civilians being massacred and slaughtered where people are just going into houses and discovering civilians who are not military targets um, who have been tied up and shot dead in those places. Um, people would wonder why you'd still want to keep open any diplomatic channels with a country which is capable of that kind of action. You're right, it's horrific and it makes the case all the more so that we have to do everything we can to try and help stop this war in whatever way we can. Um, and there was the expulsion you know, of, of four diplomats from the Russian embassy this uh, in the last two weeks. Um, and clearly, uh, we will use our embassy as well in Moscow, I think, to express our outrage at those sort of events. There is a, a, at this time, as horrific as that is, I don't think it would serve anyone, not our people, our people in Russia or the U- Ukrainian people, if we didn't lose our voice. But does it, I, I understand the concern about needing to have some channels open so that you can speak on behalf of your own citizens and ensure their own welfare. But does, does there come a point where it does more harm than good to, to continue to have diplomatic relations with a state which is clearly responsible of that kind of action? I don't think any country has completely withdrawn those relationships. So everyone is making that assessment and uh, uh, and still keeping their embassies open. I think where we need to do is the, the one front that the Russian government, I think, particularly uses uh, as one of the weapons in this war is in relation to the energy markets and how they have a grip on those. And from my perspective, in terms of what I can do and what we can do, I think it's doing everything we can to try and reduce that that threat. I mean, in effect, Europe is spending about half a, a billion euros a day on imported energy from Russia. Yeah. Uh, the war is costing the Russian government I, I think it's estimated about half a billion a day. So if we can reduce that amount of money going, which does in the end help support and fund some of the what's going on in Ukraine, mm. that I think is one of the better ways of us tackling it. Yeah, I'll come back to, to our energy reliance and what we're going to do about that and rising costs in a couple of minutes. But just because you mentioned the expulsion of the four diplomats from the Russian embassy and we understand they're due to actually leave the country today. Um, other countries this week who have expelled Russian diplomats as part of a coordinated uh, action with Ireland are at least prepared to say out loud that those diplomats were responsible for espionage or intelligence gathering. Why won't we do the same? Or can you tell us now what they were getting up to? Well, Simon Coveney and the Department of Foreign Affairs had to make, and Justice had to make that call. And they did do it as part of coordinated effort. Mm. The but they haven't told us why. They weren't well, engaged in the cla- in the usual forms of diplomatic actions, but they well, haven't told us what they are getting up to. Well, I think that that was uh, one one way of saying that they that we didn't think that they, it was appropriate what they were doing. That's why it is an unprecedented sort of development. But I think it was the right one. But you still won't tell us what they were doing. I, I don't have the specific details on what they were doing, but very much supported what Simon Coveney's call for so us to act. Were you part of it, any security briefings? Because the teacher told us that he was briefed by the Garda Commissioner and by the Chief of Staff of the Defence Forces. It's an ongoing briefing from both the Taoiseach and the Minister of Foreign Affairs and we agreed in government that it was the right approach to take to to, to, to remove them. But So you, you don't actually know you, you weren't yourself party to any briefings to what they were doing? No, I don't. I, you, I wasn't talked to the Garda okay, Commissioner. No. But you support the actions yeah. that were taken. 
Um, you're on the front page of the Business Post today saying that you're calling for higher vehicle registration tax on SUVs, sports utility vehicles, because they require more energy to move around than smaller cars because they've got heavier weight and also because they've got poor aerodynamics. Um, can you confirm that? Are you, are, are you looking at that? No, we've, we've been engaged in a series of measures over the last two years in this government changing the tax system. And one of the target, or one of the things we do want to achieve is promote more energy efficient vehicles to reduce the amount of our use of imported fuel because that is a big security risk for us. Mm-hmm. I think over half the cars now, new cars being bought, are what you're kind of that's an SUV character. They're very heavy and expensive. One of the expenses I was speaking in the doll this week is we're going to see all sorts of costs increase, unfortunately, because of this crisis, including the costs of steel. Mm-hmm. Having uh, kind of our going towards a characteristic where our the the largest number of our cars are very high are very large and very expensive Mm. using a lot of fuel there are safety concerns as well around that it does make sense for us to send a signal that we want to switch to lighter cheaper and more fuel efficient cars now nothing's decided in the budget yet Mm. nothing we haven't even really started that would would that be a budget decision that's something that That would would only happen in october it wouldn't happen before that um just when you single out steel the thought does cross my mind that there has been a significant increase in the price of lithium in the last month as well as a result of what's going on in russia which means that if you wanted to buy an electric car that the cost of manufacturing the battery there has also gone up quite a bit. So you're, you're penalising people who might choose to buy one type of car, even though the raw materials for another. Like electric cars are made out of steel too. Gavin, we're in the most um, unprecedented circumstances in a whole range of different markets, in food, in minerals, as you say, as well as in energy fuels. The world system, this very long, elongated global system we had where supply chains, you had parts coming from one part of the world, another part of the world, that is under real stress at the moment in a whole range of different markets, including, as you say, in kind of rare earths. I think what's happening, and it was, I was attended to the meeting again this week of the International Energy Agency, where we're saying we have to coordinate, we have to work collectively to make sure, A, we reduce our use of fossil fuels, but B, we also create a secure supply of the likes of lithium, cobalt, copper, nickel and all the other um, rare earths we will need Mm. to switch the alternative. Um, It's going to take some time. It's not going to be an easy process. It's a global and it has to work best on a global approach. We as as one small country in the European Union can influence that somewhat, but it's also part of a wider global market and therefore the way to address that is in global cooperation, which is what we're we're doing. I might come back to that in a few minutes' time, but just here at home, um, you speculated in the Dáil on Thursday that one issue which may help to uh, bring down the cost of household energy bills would be time-of-day pricing. Can you give us some sense as to what that actually would mean in practice? Would it be a case that every customer, for example, would be able to avail of that because not every customer has smart meters? Or, or what, what are you thinking there? You just flesh that out for us. Yeah, it would require a smart meter. Some 750,000 houses in the country have got it and we're rapidly rolling them out. Mm. About half the houses by the end of this year will have it, three quarters by, by next year. And the advantage of that is you can start managing your demand. So start using electricity when it is cheaper. Particularly, obviously, people already know historically we did this in the past nighttime energy saving. Yeah, I remember the night saver. Yeah. And I kind of wondered how it worked because how would the meter ever know what time of day it was being used? Well, it would know. That's the smart bit of it. Yeah, but we didn't have smart meters back in the 1980s no, when we, we had did, the jingle. But it, yeah, it was a much cruder system. But now we have the capability. And the advantage of that is not only does it help consumers save money, which is uh, one something we have to do now, uh, the increases in electricity prices, every single household will see this coming through, is a matter of real urgency. 
um, by being able to switch that demand, it helps cut the bills. It also helps manage our overall demand so that we don't have to put on mm. new gas fired power stations at those peak hours. So the more we can switch use mm. from, let's say, particularly six o'clock in the evening, let's say to later, then you don't have to use as much power generation, then you save mm. household bills. One of the reasons why we moved away from that before is because um, fire authorities were particularly concerned that if you had appliances running overnight, you might put on your dishwasher or your washing machine or your tumble dryer, particularly your tumble dryer might be on overnight and it was actually something of a fire hazard if it was operating at a time that you weren't awake yeah, to keep we, an eye on it. We have people doing this already and one of the changes we would need to make at the moment people can opt into it so if you have a smart meter you have to opt into it. The change we're looking at and a lot of these will come out within in about two weeks time we'll go to the government with a whole series of measures to help people save money. Um, what we're looking at doing is is that everyone with a smart meter uh, is in that system. They can opt out if they don't want to so if they have for, for for whatever concern. Mm. We have to overcome data protection and other concerns to make that work. But it's one of the measures, as I said, which we'll bring to government the week after next, which I think the next focus in managing this crisis, we've already done a huge amount in providing a €200 credit to every bill, Mm. in cutting excise. By the way, why weren't the €200 credit? Why, Why might it take until June to apply that to some bills? It'll be earlier than that. It'll be but ex- I was reading the paperwork that you signed, the ministerial order that outlined the regulations, and it gives uh, utility companies between April and June to apply that credit. And it's starting this week. But, and why, why, did, but why, why leave the window that long? Because it means that some companies could end up then delaying the, the application of the credit and the prices could go up again in the meantime. Re- I think different bills come in at different time frames. Some come in in early June, some come, some some people build on a different time frame. Mm-hmm. But just to go back to the point, we've done a whole series of initiatives. We've significantly increased the fuel allowance back last year's budget, increased it five euros a week and then increased it again in recent months in mm-hmm. response to the immediate crisis. What we need to do next, and this will be the first of a series of measures. This is going to take uh, ongoing effort to try and protect Irish households, particularly those at risk of fuel poverty. So first thing, I think the key thing now is a whole series of ways in which we protect particularly vulnerable households, look at their debt management, look at the billing system, look at everything to try and help them through a difficult period. Does that include the likes of making sure that they are on the cheapest possible tariff that the provider can offer, for example? Yeah, we're looking at every single option. I was talking to the Commission for Regulation of Utilities yesterday, who's got a responsibility in this area, and they said they're going to look at that. The opposition put it forward during the week. Mm. One, my view in terms of, and as I said, we'll have to decide this in government in the next week and a half. I think we've done a lot of what you might call universal payments, that energy credit to each household, the reduction in excise duties. I think what we do need to do now is firstly uh, concentrate target on those at risk of fuel poverty. For a lot of people, for everyone, the rising bills is a shock, but for some households, it puts them in real difficulty and danger. So we have to, I think, target our efforts on those. The second thing in terms of, I I think... um, it's also we have to make this transition in a way that addresses the long term fundamental problem we have that we're over reliant on fossil fuels. So some of the other measures and some of these t- might take a certain amount of time is to accelerate the likes of rollout of PV uh, photovoltaic so on people's solar panels on people's roofs so okay. they don't have to. So that again helps bring their bills down. One, one suggestion we've actually had in already on the text of 53106 is that you could get rid of the planning permission requirement for those because if we're in an energy emergency and you need planning permission right now to install all frames over a certain size, that would be one short-term and fix. And that's exactly the sort of planning, regulatory, market changes 
that we're going to look at and publish within two weeks to try and help households. The third one, just to, and these are very practical, but very real ways of saving money. We introduced this 80% grant for if you've got cavity walls and don't have proper attic insulation. Yeah. We introduced that specifically as an emergency measure. There's about, we estimate between 500,000 and 700,000 Irish households could do that. That on average could bring down your bill about 25%. Now everyone's but, saying, but they need to be able to cover the difference themselves and at a, at a time when the cost of living is such a pinch they might not be able to build up the savings or borrow to, to cover the, the balance. There is further grants for those who are in fuel poverty where they get 100% grant for but but for the average house who who isn't in that category I think an 80% grant is a real incentive because it brings that 25% cut in the bill mm. and it's those sort of practical measures that help householders through this difficult time is what we're going to do. Uh, by the by someone has texted in just on the topic of solar panels and this is something which has been brought to me before can you ask the minister when the feed uh, feed in tariff was going to come in because currently I'm giving away my excess power from solar for free people who got the solar powers uh, panels fitted to their houses and thought they'd be able to sell the excess back to the grid no, we've and they're still awating the kick in for that so they're no, giving have, away their excess and they're not getting paid for it We have changed the rules back in February they, are, they can now get an export price we've also introduced specific prices and supports for the likes of Irish farmers so that they can for example if you're a dairy farmer mm. put solar panels on the roof of the barn that helps with your cooling and other systems so we have already and, and there are further measures coming there particularly as we move to kind of commercial operators mm. to our businesses because a lot of small businesses aren't difficult in this time and that's exactly the sort of acceleration we do or we need to do and the benefit of it is it sets us on the path we need to go anyway which is stop and cutting our use of those fossil fuels. Uh, your cabinet colleague Helen McEntee was asked at a press conference on Thursday about um, energy security and was asked whether the government should reconsider the commitments made in the programme for government about liquefied natural gas given the, the concerns about energy security now and she said nothing should be off the table and of course there's a controversial plans for that LNG terminal in County Kerry. Given the, uh, I, I fully understand that you'd like to move towards completely renewable sources, but the technology in a lot of those cases just doesn't exist yet. If there is a prospect of having a lot of our short-term supply needs solved by an LNG terminal in Shannon, why wouldn't we do it now? Two or three points on this if I can. Firstly, there are immediate things we need to do, the sort of stuff we were talking about there about helping cut people's bills immediately. There's medium term, for example, switching or uh, putting in insulation, putting on solar panels. And there's more long term. And that issue about a gas terminal or LNG or mm. hydrogen terminal potentially in Shannon is in that more five to ten year category. One of the issues in that, just to understand that people to explain, because we're still in a very uncertain situation in this. Mm. We don't know in the next two to three weeks what exactly is going to work out with the Russian and particularly German and Austrian governments in terms of how they manage the trade in gas and oil, which is still happening. Mm. But it could come to an end. If it did, we would have very significant in Europe immediate gas crisis. Mm. We would be less affected in Ireland. The physics of, of, of our gas system is not connected to that Russian gas supply. Yes. Most of our so gas... We, so we, we get about a quarter from Corrib and about three Corrib. quarters then from Britain. But there, there would have been a time though where you'd have, you'd have been opposed on environmental grounds against even tapping Corrib altogether yeah, back in the day. And, and now that it's there, we're probably damn glad to have it because it means that we're insulated from shocks on the continent. Would LNG in Shannon not be a similar thing where it would future-proof while we get our house in order to try and move to renewables? I don't believe the existing planning application would do that because it also comes with a lot of demand increase which actually would see your emissions go up and, and a lot of the gas used in that way. But it's interesting, I've been travelling a lot because we need to collaborate and work with other governments in Washington, in Berlin and in Paris in the last three weeks. And putting this question to, to, to colleagues in that five to ten year horizon, 
where is the more secure system? Where is the investment going? And a lot of people are saying, what I hear saying is that actually the development of hydrogen power gas, which is an alternative to that LNG supply, it would come from converting the offshore renewable wind power we have in abundance into hydrogen. Mm. It could be used in the likes of Money Point Power Station, as ESP have yeah. um, suggested, or indeed in Agnes Alumina, which is probably our biggest gas user, which is on the Shannon Estuary. And I think if we look... And which we're refusing to close as part of sanctions. Well, that that is a European Union decision. Uh, there are, you know, this is this doesn't work if every country goes solo. Your best. Well, it's not a European Union decision. The guy who owns it is already the subject of sanctions, but we're finding some way to work around them for the benefit of our own domestic economy, rather than taking the hit that Europe is supposed to do. Yeah, and what we've said in Ireland in the European Union, because we do want to do everything we can, go back to what we said at the start to uh, progress this war. We have taken a very strong stance. We've been saying we could and should look at the switch away from fossil fuels and our other potentials to offer sanctions. The reason the European Union has held back from that is because there was an es- an, uh, a belief that it would damage the European economy first and foremost oh. and rather than the Russian one and that's something they want to avoid. But just to make the point, we in this country have this huge energy resource in offshore wind. We're going to develop it at mm. scale. Uh, and w- and if- will we develop it? Because there's already threats about some sort of planning objections. I know we have the new maritime planning framework, but there's plenty of people who may object to offshore turbines for, for myriad reasons. There may, and, and every project may not go through planning. But uh, a significant number will. And the benefit we have, we have a comparative competitive advantage in that. And it's our own supply that will never be held to ransom by any other government. And the advantage, the other advantage we have, particularly as I see it, if you look at the areas where it's likely to come ashore, firstly in Dublin, where a lot of the demand is, but then particularly in the likes of Cork Harbour, in Shannon Estuary, the advantage we have there is all our energy assets are located in those areas. We have a lot of grid, we have a lot of our industry, we've got the right sort of sites. You could switch money point from coal burning, as I said, for to, to first of all sending out our offshore turbines, but also bringing in the power. And in that five to 10 year framework horizon, this is the question we have to look at. Is that investment in hydrogen going to be more secure, more competitive, cheaper for Irish consumers? I think it will be. But But, but LNG would take the same timeline and that's the issue that you'd prefer if we're going to do something over five or 10 years to do it with renewables rather than... We'll assess it. But that investment, when you're thinking five to 10 years and an investment then is going to be into subsequent decades, you want to make sure you invest in something that's going to be future proofed. Um, You're also the Minister for Transport, which brings Dublin Airport and DAA uh, under your wing. Um, I know somebody who was taking a flight yesterday, not a red-eye flight, I think they weren't due to fly until about uh, eight or half past eight, but because of the queues in the airport, they agreed to show up very prudently early. They were in the security queue at 20 to five and didn't get through it until 25 past five for a flight that wasn't taking off until eight o'clock. How have we managed to get into a situation where it takes that long to get through a queue so early in the morning, long before you're ever flying? It's a real problem and we have to, Dublin Airport and our department, everyone involved, will make sure that we address it. And when? Ma- well, it's immediately we're, we're, we're working with the airport and with other government departments and agencies to see what are the measures we can take to help solve it. The reason that there's a particular immediate problem, there are various reasons, but one of the main reasons is because the workforce was scaled right back during the COVID period and they're having difficulty scaling it back up again. So have uh, travel just reached a critical mass then in the last couple of weeks? It where increased significantly the, the in a way that hadn't been planned or hadn't been, been uh, expected. But that's not, we have to address it and make sure that people do get through the airport quickly. It's important for tourism industry, it's important for, well, no one wants people uh, queuing uh, for those sort of times. So we're looking at a whole variety of different measures, working with and helping Dublin Airport. They've got the primary role and responsibility, Mm. but government is committed to doing whatever it takes to solve that problem. 
whatever it takes. Yeah. Uh, so how quickly then will it be solved? I know that there is a training period, but can we then expect it to be? I think uh, there's that aspect and it's looking to see, can we pull in workers from elsewhere? Can we look at the uh, managing the processes in Dublin Airport to make sure there's nothing there which is delaying us or other ways mm-hmm. which we can get good security, but get the people through the airport quickly? Um, some questions that are still coming in about the, the plans for um energy security and the cost of living and you mentioned that there's a package going to cabinet I think on Tuesday week you said so it's nine, nine days from now you'll be bringing it um, somebody just simply says the minister keeps talking about people being at risk of fuel poverty I'm in fuel poverty now and I have been for months what are you going to do for me? Well that's I mean the government has spent about 2 billion euros in various packages for that very reason to try and help and protect people the and yet there are still some who have to make the decision between eating and heating There are and I think then the question is in terms of what we do next there was a lot of questions was asked at, at leaders questions on Thursday what do we do next. A lot of the opposition were saying we should cut the VAT rates, cut the mm. VAT rate. And you could see... And might we, if we get European clearance to do it? Well, what I'd be going to the government discussing and saying is, I think particularly because those at risk of fuel poverty are the ones we really have to address, that I think it may be better at this stage to do a very targeted approach. Mm. We've done already two quite uh, universal mm. changes. But what more can you target? I mean, the fuel allowance, the period is going to lapse next week anyway. So is extending that period, for example, is that one measure? Some yes, but some of the measures will take time. Some of the measures because this won't be all done in the next two weeks. It, we're going to have to have a series of measures, particularly over the next six months. Some of them in the budget mm. period, and I think it's appropriate and right mm. if we're changing, for example, the fuel allowance system. Um, looking at best practice in other countries, look at the likes of Germany, where they vary fuel lands depending on what the fuel price is, systems like that, so that you give greater protection. But you don't rush that. You get it right. You do it as the part of the budget process, while you're also doing other immediate mm. measures to help people well, through. All, all of which sounds sensible because nobody wants you to be you know, taking new ad hoc measures on, on a week by week basis. But your department a few weeks ago did decide almost overnight to start giving cash payments to hauliers to help them deal with yeah. the higher cost of diesel. There's been no cash handouts to people to deal with the higher cost of heating their homes. There was. There was something 200 euro, 230 euro credit to every household. Even it was on the electricity bill, it was mm. designed to be able to get to every home. I think we were right to do that to the hauliers. It's, they have a, have a vital role, uh, particularly at a time when fuels, you know, fuel suppliers are at risk uh, and, the, and their cost bases shot up. We saw during COVID that we were able to make particular targeted measures to help particular sectors out. We did, for example, and uh, are still doing it for the, for the coach travel industry, the bus industry, mm. to help them through a difficult period. That support to the haulers was done on the same basis. They were having an immediate real problem in terms of getting supply on their cost base. And I think it was right for us as a government to make a direct and immediate intervention. Um, That's an example sort of targeted yeah. rather than blanket for everyone to try and find where's the places most at risk okay. and I think particularly those households at risk of fuel poverty identifying them and identifying the measures to help them is where we should really concentrate on. And that's hopefully then what we'll hear from you in nine days time. As the start of an ongoing process this is we have to manage this we don't know how long this war is going to last please God the sooner it's over the better obviously but we have to we have to prepare for a more medium term uh, as well as short term uh, response. We'll do the short term, focusing on demand, ma- on efficiency, helping households out. We'll then really push as well, switching to new fuel supplies, our own power system, which is cheaper and more secure. And then even further again in the medium to long term, making those sort of calls on where do we get our fuel from and how can we okay. develop our own resources. Uh, we're out of time. Thank you very much for giving us so much of your time this lunchtime. The Minister for Transport, Energy and Communications, Eamon Ryan.